Good morning, church. Let me invite you to open your Bibles to uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. You know, when you uh, look back at the ancient world, as we read about in the Bible, it, it's very clear that the United States of America is a very different place. For instance, uh, we don't have to fear for our lives when we gather to worship. We don't see pastors getting dragged out of the church into prison for preaching the word of God. We are not under the rule of an oppressive government, although I'm sure some of you might feel that way. Another huge blessing for us is that we have the completed scriptures. You know, for, for Peter, he had written this letter and then he had it delivered to these different churches. We don't have that today. I mean, could you imagine if somebody walked through our doors and said, hey, just want you to know, uh, I wrote a new letter for the churches of, uh, of Christ, and here you go. Like, what would we do with that person? <laughs> We'd throw them out. Like, we don't need that. And, and also the blessing that we have is that we have the completed scriptures with us. We, whatever I say, you should be going back to scripture and saying, do these things align. However, even considering all these things, that does not take away the fact that we are still exiles in this world. This is the term that Peter gives the people that he's writing to in this book. And if you were to look at the principalities and the powers that rule our world, and you see even how our government is run and the values that the world has, you can't, as a Christian, in good conscience say, man, I am home. I belong here. The things that this world fights for and the love that it has for certain things is contradictory often to what the Bible and what God holds dear. And what makes it uniquely difficult and challenging to live in the U.S. is that it's pretty easy to be a professing Christian. Like, life here, it... it it's hard for us to remember that we are exiles. It's hard for us to remember that we don't belong because it's pretty comfortable. And let's face it, we don't really face persecution here. We might get mocked a little bit. We might get made fun of, but our lives are not in danger. And to a certain degree, because of that, it makes it very easy for us to even slip in and look a lot more like the world than we do like Jesus. I mean, how many of us are participating in forms of entertainment that would be embarrassing if God was standing right next to us, even though he actually is with us? It's hard to stand out in our world because it is safe and easy for us. And one reason, one main reason why I want to take us through 1 Peter is because we must remember that we are exiles. You see on the screen kind of the theme of our book, and that's going to be the theme of this morning. We need to learn to suffer well as exiles. That's what Peter is going to talk about. How do we live a holy lives despite the fact that we are exiles in this world? 1 Peter 1, 1 addresses the people as exiles. In chapter 2, verse 11, the believers are called sojourners and exiles. The earth is not our eternal home. 
And this is why we find ourselves longing for Christ to return. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen? For the people back in Bible times, there was a real threat on their lives for living for the sake of Christ. And because of it, they were experiencing persecution. And this is what led Peter to write the letter to the Christians scattered about. He wanted to encourage them in their struggle to remain holy despite the suffering they were facing. And his encouragement to them was to remind them of their eternal dwelling and the joy that can be found in suffering for our faith. Because when we suffer because of being a believer, what we are doing is identifying with Christ himself who suffered for our sake that we might be made right with the Father. And so this morning, let's just look at these first couple verses as we just kind of paint a picture of what 1 Peter is about, set the stage. We'll look at some background. So let me read 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2 for us this morning. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your encouragement this morning, being reminded that we have a firm foundation in Christ. And Lord, it is so true that all other ground is sinking sand. It may feel firm in the moment, but Lord, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess one day. And if, and if we build our lives on sand, then we will be washed away and spend an eternity suffering. So God, thank you for the reminder that we have a firm foundation in Christ. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is our life. Father, we need to remember that in our world as we, as we suffer. And so I pray, Lord, that you would this morning just remind us that we are exiles. Remind us, though, that you hold firm to your people and you will never let us go. God, give us great encouragement even in the midst of suffering that we may face in our lifetime. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first thing we see here as we look at this book, it's written by Peter. Thus the name First Peter. Peter uh, was one of the disciples that Jesus walked most closely with during his ministry on the earth. And we know him sort of as a, a bit of a hothead. <laughs> Very bold guy. At one point, uh, you might remember, Jesus praised him for declaring that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. But shortly after that, Jesus is condemning him, saying, get behind me, Satan. This is just kind of how Peter rolled. He was, he was just vibrant and loud sometimes. If you remember in the garden, when the, they came to arrest Jesus, what did Peter do to the ear of the high priest's servant? He cut it off. And then, of course, Peter is infamous for his denying of Christ three times while Jesus was on trial. But here, here's the beauty of what Christ did for Peter and what Christ does for us. Jesus didn't abandon him when he was at his, lotus, his lowest. He was gracious and merciful 
to Peter. And even after he resurrected from the grave, he, he went to Peter in, in, in real sense, just restoring him to ministry. Restoring him to a place where really Peter played an important role in advancing the gospel around the world. Now I want you to notice the title that Peter gives himself. He calls himself an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now the word apostle in its simplest form means a messenger of Christ. Like there's a certain degree where I'm a messenger of Christ. There's a certain level where every believer is a messenger of Christ. But this is not a general under, we should not have a look at this as a general understanding of a messenger. So to be an, a, a true apostle of Christ, as Peter is saying here, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a place of authority. An apostle would only be somebody who experienced the resurrection of Christ. He, he was one that saw Jesus after he resurrected from the grave. That was the only way that you could be an apostle. And so when this letter would be received by the church, they would know Peter and they would know he was an apostle and therefore it would come with this great authority. Listen to what this man has to say. First, uh, First Peter 5 verse 1 says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So this is what gave Peter authority. He was given it to it by God. He experienced the resurrection of Christ. And so therefore, this is why he gives himself the title of apostle. There are no apostles today. How many of you have seen the Robert Duvall movie, The Apostle, written like in the 90s? Anybody seen that? If you haven't, don't worry about it. Please don't see it. <laughs> uh, but in this movie, this guy kind of self-declares himself as an apostle. If somebody comes to you and say, hey, my name's Ben and I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, just walk away, okay? There are no apostles who have that kind of authority today. We have the completed scriptures. We can compare everything back to scriptures. They did not have it. First Peter was being written as they were living it out. Like, like they didn't have what we have today. And so they needed to have an understanding of this message is trustworthy. And so it's coming from an apostle who met the resurrected Christ. That's why he is called an apostle. So when the Christians received this letter, they were dialed in to what Peter said. Notice that he is not writing to one specific church, but this letter would be distributed to multiple places. If you see it, look on the screen there, you'll see a map that shows you uh, kind of the area, and the red line represents the possible path of where the letter went to these different churches. So the, if you were to look at a map today, this is, this is Asia Minor. It would have been uh, in today's world that would all fit in modern-day Turkey. So this is the area that Peter is writing to. Now, Peter at the time uh, was a free man in Rome when he wrote this letter. Uh, but what would transpire in the next few years from writing this book, it was written in the mid-60 AD in that area. And within a few years after this, Peter would be arrested and would later be martyred for his faith. Now, I want you to notice then the title that Peter gives the people that he's writing to. He calls them, in verse 1, elect exiles. Ooh, that elect word, man. That'll get us. So we're going to get to that in a minute. But uh, if you're writing notes, let me have you write this. We are exiles. Let's talk about the fact that Peter is writing to exiles, and the truth is, it's true for us as well. We are exiles. 
Now, amongst these churches that he was writing to, there would be a mix of Jews and Gentiles. And what Peter is emphasizing to them throughout this letter is that this world is not their home. And the same thing is true for us. Even, even what Aaron read in, in Hebrews speaks to the fact that like, this is not where we belong. This is not our home. We long for our eternal home. And Peter wants to remind them, listen, what an exile, what it means is you're a stranger. You're an alien. You are just passing through, longing for your eternal home. And this understanding would be important because it would help them when they're facing persecution to not be surprised. Listen, if, you're not, if this is not where you belong, then you're going to be treated sometimes like you don't belong. Now, I've, I've been out of the country. How many of you have been to another country where they primarily speak a different language? Okay, a lot of you. Wow. Uh, I've been to Hungary and China. I, I remember China in particular uh, was a place not only did I not belong, but they knew I didn't belong. <laughs> and we pulled up. Uh, we, we went to this real rural uh, province of China. It's called Hachu. And it was amazing. I'll, I'll never forget this experience. Within five minutes after we arrived and got on the bus and were making our way to where we were staying for the night, we were surrounded by Chinese people just curious. Like, some of them probably had never even seen a white person before. Let alone, we had a black guy with us. We had a girl with blonde hair that she was fascinated with. Now, you, you probably know this, China isn't known for their height a whole lot. And so we had a guy who was like 6'6", and they were very intrigued by him. But one of the nights when we were there, they took us to a local park, and uh, basketball was very popular. Uh, if you're an NBA fan and have been for years, you, you know the name Yao Ming. Yao Ming was from China, and he was like, he was literally, he was seven, six, seven foot six, monster. And because of his height, you can imagine, like, his, his, uh, his career was pretty short, but he had a really good career. And so basketball is huge in China, and so... They took us to this park, and there's three, three, like three different courts that people were playing on, and so we had an interpreter with us who asked if we could play, and they were all about it. And within 30 minutes, there were hundreds just surrounding us, looking at us. We had a girl uh, that was on our team that was playing basketball. She had played at some level of college basketball. She was really good, and they were impressed with her. And the black guy that we had with them, they literally pulled him off the court and were taking pictures with them. I mean, they were, they, they were fascinated. They were like, these people don't belong here, and, and we haven't seen it. We're going we're gonna to take pictures of these people, and we're going to remember this. Now, here's the difference between our experience as exiles, as, I mean, as foreigners, as strangers. It, this was not hostile territory. And the reason why the people in 1 Peter that Peter is addressing were exiles was not because of the color of their skin, it's not because of the language they spoke. It's because of the Savior whom they worshipped. It was because of Jesus that they suffered. They were exiled because they belonged to the Lord. And we know that God is preparing a place for those who have repented of their sin and placed their faith. And so this made them incredibly, they made them outsiders. They did not belong. And this is the same thing that is true for us. You know, the world is hostile to those who love Jesus and stand on the truth of God's word. Now, to a certain level, probably a lot of us feel comfortable 
as a, we're, we're, like, if you're an American citizen, there's a comfortability here. But I have grown increasingly more aware that I don't belong. I am not comfortable here. Because of Christ, I look around and I often feel out of place. Do you experience this in your life? I mean, I remember even as a Christian youth, I'd have some quote-unquote Christian friends in, in the neighborhood. I, I was striving to live for Jesus. I'm not saying I was perfect, but I wanted to look more like him. And so I would make certain decisions. I wouldn't participate in things that my friends were participating in. And they would just call me, oh, you're just, just a goody two-shoe. You think you're better than everybody else. And, and that wasn't true at all. But, that, but that's what happens in this world. People look at us and think we're crazy. And then they get angry because we start calling them out for things that we know are going to destroy them. And that's the way it is as exiles. We don't belong. This is not our home. We have tasted and seen that God is good. We know that his ways are better. But when we try to blaze our own trail, it doesn't go well for us. And so we struggle to live in a place that is throwing everything at us. All these passions of the flesh that we want to give in. And the Holy Spirit is convicting us. And so we need to remember we are exiles. Brothers and sisters, do you believe this to be true in your life? Do you understand that as a Christian you don't belong? Or do you look so like the world and love what the world has to offer so much that no one around you even notices you that you are a believer? Listen, this is not about being flamboyant about your faith just to be loud and obnoxious. But there is a clear difference between someone who has been deeply affected by the mercies of God through Jesus Christ than just somebody who says, I'm a believer and looks like the world's. Listen, if, if people around you day after day after day are walking with you and they have no idea you're a Christian, there's something wrong. We don't belong. We can't stand for the things that the world stands for because the Spirit won't allow us to. We must remember we are exiles. Now let's move on to the theological buzzword for the morning. If you're writing notes, write this. We are God's elect. We are God's elect. He's writing to elect exiles. And while we're at it, we might as well look at verse 2. The start there says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So if, if you take out the dispersion there, you could, he's literally saying this. To those who are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, this has caused many a church split when you start talking about this word and how you define what it means. So the Greek word for elect means chosen. It means picked out. These believers were picked out according to the foreknowledge of God. They were believers in Christ. Though they were those who have truly repented of their sin and placed their faith in Christ, legit believers. Now, the ultimate question that we have to ask ourselves as we evaluate what Peter is saying here is this. Did God choose those who were saved? Or did those who are saved choose God? Which is it? Does God's foreknowledge 
refer to the ability of God to look in the future and see those who would choose him, and therefore, because he can see them in the future, know he's going he's to choose them, therefore, he, they are God's elect? Or does God's foreknowledge means that he chose them from the beginning? And he chooses whom he will and will not save. Let, let me just say this right now. We are swimming in the deep end of the theological pool. We should not look at this lightly. We, we desperately need to look at this through humility. So a, pride, a proud way would be, I don't agree with you, Ben, I'm out. A humble way, if you disagree or you struggle, is to lean in and have conversations. Help me understand. I don't understand what you are referring to. So let's make sure we are approaching this with great humility. And right off the bat, let me just tell you where I stand. As I look at the scripture, and even as we look at the words that follow in 1 Peter, I believe it is clear that God is the one who chooses whom he will save and who he will not. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. His great mercy. What is mercy? It's when we don't get what we deserve. This is something where if it's left up to us, this is what we're getting. But because of God's great mercy, he has, what's that word? Got an ESV version? Caused us. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He is the one that caused us to be born again. We were dead, and he caused us to be born again. Verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, which means this inheritance isn't going to be taken away from you. It's not going to disappear. Kept in heaven for you. Verse 5, who, by whose power? By God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So God is the one that causes us to be born again, and it's his power that sustains us into the day where salvation reaches its full effect. And we are no longer dealing with sin anymore in glory. And this understanding is not just held to this book of the Bible. Let's just look at other references and see throughout Scripture what it has to say along these understanding of elect. Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, who, who, who began the good work in us? God. He who began the good work will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, brothers and sisters, the one who starts is going to finish. We're not the one who started this. If we were the ones who started it, then we would have to be the ones that finish it. And that, and that would lead us in a bind because we get off track. And this is why people live in such fear because they don't know, did the sins of yesterday cause me to not be born again today? Do I need to get born again again? <laughs> and it, God's not the one, or we're not the ones that begin the work. God is the one that begins the work in us. So if he's the one that begins it, he's going to bring it to completion. God doesn't start things and then not finish it when it comes to our salvation. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Just a couple books back, Ephesians chapter 1. I remember as a high schooler into college, just really struggling with this because, I mean, it's, hard, it's a hard concept to grasp. 
But as I was reading through the scripture, I, I can't see it any other way. I don't, I can't see it any other way. Look what Ephesians 1, 3, and 4 says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him. When? Before the foundation of the world. Listen, before the foundation of the world, I have you in my family. I will save you. I chose you before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And I want you to understand something here, that it is, it is not singular. It's not referring to one thing. It's referring to the whole process of salvation. What is grace? Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. That means you're going about life. You're not going to be getting some of these things because you don't deserve them unless somebody intervenes and gives you grace. So grace is a gift. Your faith in Christ is a gift. And it's not your own doing. It's a gift of God. Okay, so what do you have to do to, re to earn a gift? Nothing. If you have to do something to receive a gift, then is it a gift anymore? It's no longer a gift. And the reason why salvation is a gift, so that not by works, so that no one can boast. Listen, if there's a sense that in our own intellect, we come up to the place where we realize, you know what, God's real. And I've come up to this all by myself. There's some, there's some things to boast in. But the only reason why we choose God is because he chose us first. Irresistible grace. Our Lord said this in John 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. As I was thinking through this week, it reminded me of, do you, do you remember who, who prepared the way for Jesus on the earth? John. John's mother met Mary when, G when she was pregnant with Jesus. What did John do in the womb of his mother? Left. Just, oh, this is the son of God. This little child that God had separated from birth, before birth. He is going to be the messenger for Christ. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 says this, but we but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sin, and God made us alive. Let me ask you, how can something dead choose life? You can't. We were born in this world dead. The only reason why we come to God is because he, he alivens our spirit to him. He brings us to a place where we realize we need to repent and place our trust in Christ. We, if we've repented of our sin, are God's elect. He chose us by his grace through his mercy. What a merciful and gracious God to spare us of what we deserve and give us what we don't deserve. So I hate using this terminology, but what we're talking about are Calvinistic ideas. 
And there's something that Calvinists are known for that is ridiculous. Arrogance. Arrogant Christian should be an oxymoron. Because everything we have, every perfect gift comes where? From above. Our salvation is a gift. When God uses us to do anything good, it's from him. And so when we talk about these things, we have to approach them humbly because even I don't fully understand everything I've just shared with you, but only from what scripture says, this is what is clear to me. We must be humble about this, but just take it in what this means for us. Why does it matter that Peter calls the people elect exiles? Why does it matter to us to consider that we are also elect, elect exiles if in fact we have truly repented of our sin and placed our faith in Christ? The reason why understanding these things is so important is because it prepares us for being rejected by the world. He's writing to them because they're confused by the persecution. He's like, brothers and sisters, you're elect exiles. You don't belong here. But don't forget you're God's elect. Turn with me to John chapter 15. Great passage, one of my favorites in the Gospels of just Jesus talking about how he is the true vine the Father is the vine dresser. Every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. Abide in him. And then he says these words in verse 18, just to remind themselves of what you're going to face because you're following me. He's, he's saying there's a cost. There's not a cost for your salvation, but there will be a cost on your life because of you choosing to follow me. You coming after me because of me drawing you to me. Verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as, as you, would love you as its own. I mean, just think of it like an analogy from a sport, sporting thing. Like, who do Michigan fans hate? Ohio State fans. Like, that's the main thing. You can't hate Notre Dame. That's not a lot of people. And, and here's a principle of the world. And, and I found this in my own heart. I've had to repent over and over again. Like, the world is okay with being vile towards one another because of what teams you choose. Like, I'm not laughing, about, like, this is not a laughing matter, right? Like, if you're a sports fan, you've seen it, and you've probably experienced it in your own heart. Guess what? We're not going to care about Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame, and heaven. Amen. Praise the Lord. Especially being a Notre Dame fan today. <laughs> and I've just got myself sidetracked. Okay, yeah, thanks. When you love, when, when you're a Notre Dame fan with other Notre Dame fans, it's easy to just cheer in and, and call the hate on on other teams. And, and we do it with, like, volatile behavior. Like, that's just a principle of what takes place. If we love the things that the world loves, guess what? The world's going to love us, right? Like, they're going to love us too. But as soon as we cross the line and start standing up for the truth of God's word, speaking up for the protection of our children who are being taught things that will destroy them, then all of a sudden we are the enemy. And this is what Jesus is saying. Don't be surprised. When that happens, you are not of the world. But I choose you out of the world. There it is again. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. Who's the master? 
Jesus, who's the servant? All followers of Christ. If they persecuted me, did Jesus get persecuted? Yes. They will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But remember, we are God's elect. Don't fear the man who can take your body. Fear the one who's watching over your soul. It's scary. These are scary thoughts. And from time to time, it's been heavy on my heart. And I've thought at times, what happens if they start coming after my family because I'm a pastor proclaiming the truth of God's word? What happens when we might lose our jobs for standing up for truth? Speaking out against unmoral, immoral practices of business. Will we stand for the truth? But understanding that suffering is a part of the Christian life will help prepare us. But the great news is we are God's elect. He rescued us. He saved us. We are children of the king. We can't escape trials in this life, but God will never abandon us in them. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. So vital, guys, that we understand the battle that we're in. We understand who is in control, though. We must be aware that we are in hostile territory and we can't spend all of our time trying to make it comfortable to live here. Matthew 10, verse 16 and following. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Let me ask you, what do wolves like to do with sheep? Hey, sheep, come on over. Let's play. <laughs> Let's watch the game together. No, a sheep devours, or a wolf devours sheep. Sheep is a food source for wolves. And yet, this is what Jesus is doing to us. Hey, don't be surprised. I'm sending you out amongst wolves. This is who you're dealing with. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Listen, be aware, be ready for it. As an elect exile of God, you're going to face suffering. And if you come to the place where you've got to stand up for truth, you don't have to fear you don't have to wonder what you're going to say because the Spirit has prepared you and He will speak through you. Listen, the, the living God goes with us. He doesn't promise that you're not going to suffer. Okay, if somebody's teaching you garbage that says your life circumstantially is going to get better because you follow Jesus, walk away. That's not the gospel. That's not what Jesus proclaimed. Jesus proclaimed you will suffer. But God goes with you. God is with us wherever we go and through ever we may face. Some of oh, I love Romans chapter 8. And verse 32 says this. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, 
how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Here, here's, what, here's what the writer of Hebrews is, or uh, what Paul is saying here in Romans. If God were speaking, he'd be saying, look, I gave everything for you. And so these trials that you're going to face, this, this suffering that you're going to go through, there is no way, there's no chance that I'm going to abandon you. There's no chance I'm not going to give you all the faith that you need to make it through it. So don't let that thought come to your mind. Don't let the enemy come and say that God has abandoned you because I spared no expense for your pardon. I'm going to give you everything that you need to make it through this. This is the good news that we are God's elect. By his power, he rescues us, and by his power, he sustains us. He who began a good work will bring it to completion. We are God's elect. Let's finish up with verse 2 of 1 Peter 1. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Here's the, the beautiful story of our salvation. It's a work of the Trinity. Salvation is the work of the Trinity. You see it there, right? God the Father, the Spirit, Jesus Christ the Son. God is the one who initiates our conversion. Salvation is a gift given to us by the Father. The Spirit confirms in us that he is coming back to rescue us. And then he sustains us. He convicts us. He is forming us into the image of his Son. God began the work, and the Spirit is carrying it out to completion. And Jesus is the one that purchased the salvation in the first place through his blood shed on the cross. And all of this work of the Trinity results in us walking in obedience. Now let's be clear here on something, though. Our obedience doesn't earn our salvation. Obedience doesn't come first. We don't, like, try to impress God to get him to look at us. Okay, you're doing a good job. I'm going to save you. No, he saves us, and then through the work of the Spirit, conforms us through obedience to the image of his Son. So how do we know that we are true believers in Christ? We obey God. We see the work of the Spirit in our life. What a beautiful picture of unity amongst the Trinity. And what's our contribution in it all? We bring our brokenness. Nothing good have I to bring simply to the cross. Salvation is a full work of the Godhead upon our lives. What an incredible reality for us. We were lost in our trespasses and sins. We were running hard after the world with no desire for God. And brothers and sisters, we have no business being here this morning worshiping the King with conformed hearts. But because of God's choosing of us, the spirit-sanctifying work and the blood-bought sacrifice of Christ, we have been set free through the repentance of sin and faith in Christ. And so, this sets the stage for 1 Peter. As true believers in Jesus, we live in a world where we don't belong. 
your exiles. Sooner or later, because of your Savior, because of our Savior, we will face persecution. But take heart, we are God's elect. He saved us by his mercy to be made right. The Father initiated salvation. The Spirit sustains and carries it out. And the Son secures our salvation. And he will carry us into eternity. And so may the Lord grant us the ability to suffer well. And may his grace and peace be multiplied to us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your salvation. Who are we that the highest king would welcome us? Grace upon grace. Mercy upon mercy. Father, remind us of your incredible care that you who began a good work will bring it to completion. You will never leave us or, for, or forsake us. Let that be the foundation that allows us to live as exiles in the world, Lord. We, we are not loved by the world. And God, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. And Father, whatever is coming our way, would you prepare us well for it? That we would suffer well. That we would reflect Christ in everything that we do. And God, I trust that if and when that comes, your grace and mercy will be abundant upon us. I thank you for your care for us. I thank you that this is coming from a man, Lord, who literally denied you three times. God, there is so much grace and mercy for us. Keep us from growing discouraged. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here who has not repented of their sin and placed their faith, Lord, in you, I pray that even now you would wreck them until you bring them to a place of repentance. And God, fill them with incredible joy because of the salvation that you give us. This is a work that only you can do, and I pray that now you would do it. You would be at work. You might be leading someone to repentance even this morning. Father, I thank you that, you that we are not left alone. I thank you that Jesus didn't spend his time in eternity, in heaven, easy life. He left his throne and suffered the death that we deserved to give us the righteousness that we could not earn. God, grow our faith in you. Thank you for your grace and mercies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me give you some uh, things to chew on this week. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. I encourage you to put it to heart. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Be amazed that God chose you. What, what, nothing good about you. He didn't see potential like some Christian music might want to say to you. He was like, this guy's got something to offer. I should save him so he can help me out. No, that's not how, God doesn't need our help. He allows us to help, 
He allows us to participate, but he saves you by his grace and his mercy. And then encourage you, spend some time reading 1 Peter 1. Just get the full context. Prepare your hearts as you come in next week to be ready to receive what the, word, what the Lord has for you. And then question for you to ponder. Are you thankful? Are you thankful that God's mercy toward you, that he has lavished his grace on you, that he rescued you apart from anything good that you had to offer? Listen, when we have thankful hearts and when our heart is being ruled by thankfulness, we, we don't go on the street and get mad at people who cut us off. Life starts to slow down, and we start, I, I, when I find that I'm getting irritated a lot, it's, it's, I've forgotten about all that I have to be thankful for. And so, be thankful always. And then lastly, prepare for suffering. You've heard this said, I'm sure I'll repeat it again in the coming weeks. There are three types of people in this room. There are people who are right in the middle of suffering right now. There are people who have just exited out of a season of suffering, and there are some of you who are about to enter into a season of suffering. It's, this, is, this is what it means to be in exile. We don't belong. This world is not our home. And so prepare for it. Be reminded that God is with you. He is a very present help in time of need. He's not a phone call away. He's right there. So find great hope knowing that even in the suffering that we will face, God's grace will be sufficient for us in that season. Church, let me remind you, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, so let your light shine so that others may see your good works. Not so that you can boast and say how awesome you are, but that you can give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Have a good week.